where I have really struggled and held on to negativity and stopped myself for elongated periods of time is when I have failed and I have made a mistake. Because I never saw those mistakes that I was making be made by mentors. And that's the problem with not having a role model or a path that you can have to follow. Which is why I'm so wedded to the idea of, you know, you will make mistakes. Just back yourself in fixing them the way you've backed yourself in a decision that you've made, right? You've made decisions all the way along. Don't hold on to that negativity. Don't beat yourself. It's like, oh, this person would never make that mistake because they're never going to be the leader that you are or they're mm. never going to be the person that you are either. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Wafa Jaffrey is a partner at KPMG's Energy Practice and leads for the Energy and Mobility Deals Strategy Team. Her entire career has been spent working the energy transition and decarbonisation. Starting her career at RWE, where she worked to enable the energy transition across the value chain for the company, helping the transition from coal to gas. Wafa then moved to UK government to advise on the biggest change in the market since privatisation, propelling renewables investment in the power sector. Since joining KPMG, she's been leading the charge on creating a sustainable business, the Energy Deal Strategy Practice, advising clients on navigating the energy transition and achieving net zero emissions. Wafa has dedicated her time to mentoring women in the industry, as well as creating diverse teams to ensure effective future governance. Given her passion for her work, she has established herself as an accessible role model in the industry for other women and is dedicated to creating a just transition. So I am one of three sisters. It takes about five seconds for someone to guess I'm the middle child because I have the middle child syndrome. I'm originally from Pakistan, grew up in Saudi Arabia, and then I moved to the UK when I was 18 because my dad had this idea of us, you know, not staying in Saudi Arabia or in Pakistan and going abroad to get an education and make a life for ourselves. So all three of us have done that. <laughs> And what were you like at school? Were you particularly academic? Did you enjoy it or were you more... Oh, yeah. I mean, I I read mathematics. I mean, I even did that for university. So very geeky. I didn't have very many friends, right? And um, my best friend and my husband still joke about it. You know, it's like, oh, you know, Buffalo was aloof at school. And he's like, you're basically saying she was antisocial and had no friends. (laughs) Oh, that's a bit harsh. No, it's true. I, I took comfort in numbers and equations. I don't know. I mean, it's it's quite interesting how I got from that to becoming a partner where half mm. my job is actually selling and, you know, leading a team of 35. But yeah, I was very aloof. I was very quiet. I hated public speaking. I absolutely hated public speaking to the point where I remember almost fainting 
oh, and wow. I had to be a part of a debate because I forgot to breathe. Oh, blimey, you forgot to breathe. That's fairly yeah. integral to speaking. <laughs> to living. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what I did you do? To get out what I... Did you uh, overcome that? What did you do? Uh, prepared. Practice. I think it's all about preparation. I think, I mean, I've had a lot of coaches. I've had a lot of help along the way and mentors along the way. Mm. I think once I gave up the idea that, you know, it comes naturally to some people, mm. it became a lot easier because... Um, I think the key fallacy that we all face in life is there are some people who are just naturally good at public speaking whilst others aren't. And when people make it look as smooth as it does, it just creates this tension that you'll never be able to get there. Mm. Whereas, you know, 90% of the people actually like myself prepare in advance, like even for today, right? I have my notes of what I want to go through. <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah, of course. I mean, you have to think about it. You have to prepare. And then once you're prepared, it does start to come naturally. It becomes an easier conversation. You said you were a fan of maths and I'm assuming also maybe STEM subjects too, but what, yeah. what led you then? Because you joined the Empower Graduate Scheme, is that right? Yes, so I did. How was that pathway from education to working for Empower? So it was 2008, <laughs> at the height of financial crisis. Oh. I needed a job <laughs> and a visa. <laughs> And the visa. And what I did, you know, I mean, I joined the quantitative risk analyst scheme, which was all about using the mathematical skills that I built to build out trading models for Empower to be able to trade better. So that was the graduate scheme that I kind of went on. I mean, ideally it would have been a bank, but they weren't quite hiring at the time. So mm. I went into commodities and I went into energy. And, you know, to be honest, I think it turned out to be a love that I never knew I had. And That's I've never great. left. So, yeah. So in these kind of formative stages of your career, would you say that there was a standout moment or maybe even a person in particular that helped mold your interests and kind of maybe re reassure you or just reinstate the belief that you were doing the right thing or maybe even showed you a clearer direction to take yourself in? Was there a moment or a person like that for you? I think there've been a lot of people along the way who've nurtured me and supported me and they've been different at different organizations. But I guess the biggest influence, and this may sound a little bit corny, would be my elder sister. <laughs> she doesn't work in anything even closely related to what I do in energy. And she's absolutely brilliant. Amazingly, she's a renowned scholar of Indonesian politics. A long story on how she got there, which you might want to find out at some point in town, but she's, she's absolutely brilliant. I would say that what we do have in common is our upbringing and our understanding of cultural barriers and hesitations that I've kind of faced along the way. And she's instilled a motto in me that, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you damned right have to be the most hardworking to get to a solution to a problem. It is this sense of, you know, it's okay if you haven't shared the experiences others have had or the training required or the exposure that some of the other people have gotten, but you have to make sure that you're passionate and driven enough to find a way through. It's a fairly articulate way of saying you can't let your past be a crutch for your future and at the same time, you know, telling you that I can do anything I want it to do. 
that amount of belief in me combined with a sense of brutal honesty, it's, it's kind of defined me as a person and a leader in a lot of ways. I mean, to give you an example, you know, when it came to my partner case, I was, I was fairly confident about my case. I had immense support from everyone at KPMG, including Bina, who's the chair for KPMG, and Liz Clayton, who's the head of DA. And I had to go into a panel to to talk about what I wanted to do as a partner in the firm in, in order to be appointed and, in, and to, to represent the firm. But I was very nervous about the practice session that I had with her. And, and you know, when, when I presented for the first time and I did my practice with her for the first time, she told me straight out, you know, you're, you come across as a very competent person. Like, you know, you absolutely can nail the job, but I don't see why you need to be a partner in order to do it. And, you know, I mean, that, that amount of honesty as well as support was really helpful. And we kind of talked through it, which was, again, really, really simple, you know, a simple message of there is nothing I can't do if I don't set my mind to it. So don't let anything, including yourself, stop you from ever getting there. So, you know, I, I, would, I would definitely say it was her. I'm, I'm very lucky to grow up in a household of three sisters and one of three sisters. So I'd say both of them, and especially my older one, has had a massive, massive influence over me. That's really lovely to hear. So then if we come back to your own career path, moving on from Empower, you worked for the government for a little while, didn't you? You worked for the Department of Energy and Climate Change. Yes, they did. It's a really interesting topic in itself because I know that the women of the future have now introduced the ESG Award for Environmental, Social and Governance, which is what you were highly commended for. Congratulations. Um, But how did that start to infiltrate your working life? Was it just natural evolution into that space? And then clearly it has such a huge part to play in what you're doing now with KPMG. Yeah, I mean, you know, overall, I never knew climate change was going to be in in the fight against climate change and and trying to stop that was going to be a major focus of my work life or my career. Mm. It happened organically. RWE, I did a lot of things around working across the value chain, right? Working in trading, in generation, in retail. And then what was on my wish list was to work in government. I do believe in public service a lot. So working in government, and I did that for two years, and that was at the time when we in government worked on the biggest change in the sector since privatization, and it was all centered around the 2020 renewables target. Mm. So really designing that change and then implementing that was really exciting. And I think that's when my journey around ESG really started. And then I was, I was asked to join KPMG to kind of set up the energy fuel strategy team. And it was, you know, three people at the time, six years ago, a lot of hard work, <laughs> a lot of ups and downs. And now I lead a team of 35 people. Um, wow. Yeah. Working on the energy transition, leading the decarbonization agenda for most of our major energy companies. And it's a, it's a team of people who are really excited about having an impact and propelling the energy transition. That's amazing. It sounds amazing in hindsight, right? Like if you <laughs> asked me when, you know, I, I started working when I was 22. If you asked me then, is this how you see your career go? No, I had no clue. <laughs> and I just put with us. Um, <laughs> I spent about 70% of my life wanting to be a housewife. 
Oh, really? That's so mm-hmm. interesting. Because I saw that the, I was curious about this, because I saw that the IPFA for International Women's Day last year recognised yourself and Amy Marshall from your company as having a pioneering new approach to inclusive leadership by running the team jointly. And you're obviously both managing caring responsibilities outside of work. Would you be happy to talk about that a bit more and how that's sure. a part of your day to day? Sure. So, um, I mean, my, my caring responsibilities are not nearly where Amy's are, right? I mean, she has, a, she has a daughter, she looks after her family. I don't have kids, but over COVID, my dad, he moved to the UK and he's 70, he was you know, 71 at the time. So making sure, you know, I had to do his grocery shopping for him and this is pre-vaccination. So, you know, for about six months, I didn't exactly have a life apart from going grocery shopping, cooking for him, <laughs> making sure he was looked after, um, etc. I mean, we lived separately, so he doesn't need full-time care or anything. So that was yeah. quite tough. But it was around the time that we decided to grow the team. And given that it was Amy and myself, one of the things which was very, very close to both our hearts was around diversity and inclusion and you know with inclusion comes diversity and it comes back to the point that you know if you accept yourself Mm -hmm. it's easier for you to accept others around you and work more collaboratively so we set out to grow the team from about seven we were at the time back in end of uh, 2020 right so around September 2020 we were about seven and we've taken that to about 35 plus now that I mentioned And we did that knowing that we were going to hire people from different backgrounds, different genders, different ethnicities. And we just set ourselves that goal. And once you set yourself that target, it actually becomes quite easy to achieve as long as it's front and center of your mind. And what I've been able to achieve now is that 50% gender split in the team. We have various nationalities, 10 plus. We have people from different ethnic backgrounds, different languages being spoken, and also the different careers people have had. Mm. We have people who are consultants now, but used to be engineers from the very beginning. We have people who were in civil service and have had civil service careers who've left that to join and grow the team and have more of an impact on ESG. So yeah, I mean, it was really about achieving diversity of thought through diversity and inclusion. But to grow a team from seven to 35 in the space of 18 months in the middle of a global pandemic sounds a little bit bonkers. It's, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's not, not so much bonkers as tough. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's been my great pleasure to discuss with the leadership at KPNG about what it is that you can achieve from energy transition, how much of a global requirement it is for our clients to understand and Mm. and deal with energy transition so that's where I was able to kind of secure the go-ahead and the investment to grow the team and then it is about finding the right people to do it right I mean there's no way that it was just myself I mean a lot of the hiring decisions were taken by my leadership team So the director I have on the team and the other associate directors I have on the team, right, getting them to agree to how we wanted to make that diversity and inclusion a reality was critical. And then they executed it. I mean, the one thing I enjoy the most is uh, being made redundant from things. 
because that's when I know as a leader, I've done my job. I'm no longer needed on a project. I'm no longer needed to answer a question. Mm. Because people that I have invested in, or and, and it's not just my investment. I mean, people are smart enough and they feel comfortable enough to take those decisions without me. I always say to my team, I mean, you know, my, my job is to correct your mistakes and your job is to make them. Across all the work you've done, is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? Ooh, uh, my mind is racing right now. <laughs> I think the growth of the team would definitely be the, be the one thing. I think growing it in a way that I wanted to grow it with diversity in, in mind and, and creating that inclusive environment. But also knowing that, you know, that's why everybody loves waking up and coming to work. I hear that very often that, you know, my team does have January blues and some of them are around today in the office, but they still love what they do. They wake up loving what they, they love to do at the same time, doing it with people who share the same culture and the same identity and the same motivations. Yeah. That's definitely something I would say I'm proudest of. Yeah, invoking a passion. That's amazing. Mm. How did you first hear about the Women of the Future program and what inspired you to get involved with it? So it was one of the mentors I hold very closely who actually nominated me for this. Adrian Schultz, he's, um, he's one person I've relied on throughout my career at KPMG for absolute and utter truth, right? No matter how much I hate it, no matter what it's going to lead to, he's just always been honest. And he nominated me for it. And then I started to find out more about it. I spoke to Claire Angel, who was a winner in 2016, I believe. And she guided me through it, what Pinky was doing and what the organization was doing. Mm-hmm. Then it came to actually the interview itself, which was at the right time because it was in person, right? which was great. And then we got together and there was a little reception downstairs and I got to meet such amazing women. Yeah, I know. It's incredible, isn't it? The network is insane. God, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not just the network. It's just people. I mean, there was a rapper there. Yeah, the arts and culture. Exactly. It's like, oh my God. And she was, you know, talking about what she wants to do. We had someone there who'd started a charity about forcing and trying to get a a regulation passed, which was about offering free sanitary napkins Mm. to women. I said, wow <laughs> I know I always say about the women of the future I always get the most enormous sense of imposter syndrome but I'm also so hugely inspired at the same time it's, it's, it's just weird kind of yeah juxtaposition uh, of the it's, two it's like I I met this other woman and it wasn't through the women of the future I met this amazing lawyer about three years ago Michelle Davies she was at Eversheds and she was leading their work on renewables and, and climate change technologies and I met her and, you know, you walk out of one of those meetings, where have you been my entire life? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Do you have any idea how different it would be had I met you five years before? And it was the same feeling I got. Yeah. When, when I was in that room, it's like, oh, my God, you know, there's so much more we can do. It's <laughs> form an alliance. Exactly. Right. I have some quick fire questions for you. Just to okay, finish. Sure. Okay. So sure. what would you describe as your greatest success? uh definitely the team and your greatest failure 
Ooh, uh, the greatest failure would be, uh, you know, we talk about how it's important for leaders to talk about how you succeed rather than just pointing at areas of development. And there was once when for someone else, and he's amazing talent, and I bet he's going to be my boss in five years time. <laughs> I just pointed at the areas of development and I never, ever bothered telling him how. I definitely think that's my biggest failure. And you're being quite honest when we were talking previously, saying that you feel that your career has kind of been littered with a little bit of failure and that you mm -hmm. wanted, as you move forwards and help facilitate other people in their careers, to be quite honest mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, I think every time I've had a failure, I've held on to, I mean, if we, if we take a step back, right? Like I said, I'm a Pakistani woman. I wanted to be a housewife for a very long time. And I kind of, you know, got into this career thing, never really realizing what it meant for me. And why did you and, want to be a housewife? I'm curious. As why? To... Um, my dad used to work seven days a week and my mother was at home. And I thought that that's the only two choices I have. And I didn't want my dad's life growing up. But it's it also not to, I suppose it's not to downplay the role of a housewife as well. I'm sure if your oh, dad no, was no, working no. seven days, your oh, mum must oh. have been exhausted trying to support oh. him in every kind of function oh. possible. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my mother is an A-type. I mean, I come from two atypical personalities, right? So my dad, seven days a week. My mother, absolutely. I mean, she still throws dinner parties for 60 people and insists on cooking herself for all those 60 people. Blimey. She would, you know, we'd have a party and we'd just be awake. She would get out of her room at around one o'clock in the morning because she would remember the carpet in the lounge was slightly crooked or the sofa was fix it before she would actually be able to sleep. So absolutely not. And she raised three kids, like mm. three girls in Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's not the easiest thing you can do to have the culture as well as the forward thinking. I mean, she's done an amazing job. But I just, you know, if we come back to the point I was trying to make around role models, those were the two I had. And I thought I was going to go down my mum's path. Yeah. And when I started working and I again started in 2008, I couldn't really see any female role models. And what has been my privilege is I have taken whatever I could all the way from various people and various mentors, the best to structure my career and be the leader I am today public speaking from Mr. Burley, how to run a teams from Miles, the honesty and the brutal honesty from Adrian. And I get to choose all of those. Where I have really struggled and held on to negativity and stopped myself for elongated periods of time is when I have failed and I have made a mistake. Because I never saw those mistakes that I was making be made by mentors. And that's the problem with not having a role model or a mm. path that you can have to follow. Which is why I'm so wedded to the idea of, you know, you will make mistakes. Just back yourself in fixing them the way you've backed yourself in a decision that you've made, right? You've made decisions all the way along. Don't hold on to that negativity. Don't beat yourself. It's like, oh, this person would never make that mistake because they're never going to be the leader that you are or they're mm. never going to be the person that you are either. I, I don't know if that have, have been clear enough on that. That's, no, that's great advice. I think that's <laughs> really great, great advice. It, it's, accepting yourself is absolutely critical in being a kind leader.
yeah because you, you're the only person that can do you don't try yeah. and you know as much as you say you're looking towards role models and what have you you have so many unique facets and skills and abilities about your own person that just embrace those and even if they yep. do let you down and they are flawed use that you know because we're all unique and that's one of the most important things mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so the mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration what does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life um accepting others for who they are forcing them down a path of you know what you believe is right or how you want them to work is never going to get you the answer you're looking for right it's about accepting people for who they are with all of their flaws and with all of the all of the great things that they bring with them and that's the only way to collaborate in my mind. It's the only way to be kind. And I think a large part of it, if we come back to it, is accepting who you are for yourself as well <laughs> and being kind to yourself. Well, the most important thing, especially in the mm -hmm. pandemic, I would say. Yeah. Is there anything that scares you? Yes, lots of things scare me. Um, I think I think my biggest fear, and I think I've inherited it from my dad, is the fear of contentment. Hmm. There is this idea that you always have to do the next and the next and the next. And then at any point in time, I feel myself being contented, like something is not right. <laughs> you think it's like the stagnation as well, to a point that you feel uh, like, yeah. You might, yeah, I might not be pushing challenge. myself. Yeah, yeah, I don't have a challenge. I may not be pushing myself enough. It's like, is that all right? Is that yeah. not all right? And, you know, there's great things about it. And then there's the flip side of it, which is you're always chasing after something so you don't enjoy the journey so it's mm. finding that balance between my fear of contentment and my desire to achieve <laughs> yeah and enjoying the ride and taking it all in yeah. and appreci mm. yeah, appreciating it yeah what's left on your to-do list what's left on my to-do list i think a lot um I like to think I'm, you know, midway in my career, there's a lot to do, but the immediate one that comes to mind is talking about my experiences a little bit more. You know, I mean, if I was to pull out an example, it would be, you know, nobody at work in the past six years, and we are a very close team, has seen me in Pakistani attire, right? right. It's, it's the country where I'm from, and it's almost something I don't share. Mm. Um, you know, they've met my husband, most of them. Some of them have even met my dad. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's something I haven't, you know, shared from my culture. And it's part of your identity. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think I need to talk about that a little bit more. A lot of people don't know that I wanted to be a housewife or that I wanted to be my mother for the longest time. And it's about sharing those things and you know feeling comfortable talking about my failures to let people know it's okay to go through that identity crisis or it's okay to kind of you know question things or yeah yes, or, questions yeah, yeah. Or, or, or to try and be yourself whoever that is and unabashedly as well and unafraid yes. of how it will be perceived i suppose exactly exactly it's been so lovely speaking to you I've run out of questions. I could speak to you all day, I think. Oh, <laughs> it was so, so nice. nice. Oh, Thank you thanks. so much. And I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're exceptionally busy, and it, but it has been lovely. And I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it as much as I have. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. 
For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon. Bye.